Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast. We are glad that you are here to deepen and grow in your relationship with Christ. Today's message is brought to us by Cody Scholes, Orchard's Youth Director. Perhaps one of the most heartbreaking things to watch when it comes to sports is when someone holds back, or when they greed, or when they play selfishly, or worst of all, when one player wants all the glory. It was 2009, and the Green Bay Packers were tied with the Saints for the NFC Championships. It's late in the fourth quarter. There's 18 seconds left, and it's third down, and the Green Bay Packers have the ball. Brett Favre, the quarterback at the time, receives the snap. He bails out right. He's got five to ten yards in front of him that he can pick up. And his team's already in field goal range. All he needs to do is get his kicker just a little bit closer, and he can kick the game-winning field goal. Instead, he chooses to let the ball fly, and without looking over his left shoulder, he launches the ball to one of his receivers just to have it picked off. Favre chose to go for glory. He chose to greed. He chose to play selfishly and go for everything he could get. And in the process, he lost everything because that interception ended up meaning that the Saints would go on to win the game and move on to the Super Bowl. And it was this heartbreaking moment because Favre saw what the glory he could have gotten. And he wanted that. Today in our series, me, which is focused on key spiritual truths about ourselves, we're going to be facing a hard reality. We're going to be facing the reality that we tend to restrict God to a portion of our lives, that we greed and we say, hey, we want to hold on to this, or we want the glory for ourselves in this moment, and we don't give God all that he is due, which is all of us. We may try to limit him to Sunday. We may think of him as not having any bearing on our work week. We might not consider him to be part, an important part of our relationships, so on and so forth. But the reality is, is that God is important when it comes to everything. Every part of who we are, every relationship that we have, whether that be romantic or friendship, every we spend our time doing, the ways we spend our money, all of it is an act of worship. And all of it, we should consider how God factors in and how we are offering all of ourselves to Him. Because we may want to be selfish. We may want the glory. That's the hard truth that we're facing today, is that we may not want to let God into certain parts, but God says, even that part, I want to be part of. We may be tempted to give him our heart, but not our mind. We might be tempted to give him our mind, but not our heart. We might be tempted to serve him with our body, 
but we don't want to give him our finances or vice versa. But what we face when we come to Scripture is the reality that when Christ died for you on the cross, he died to save all of you, not just a part of you. And so as we respond in worship, we, give, we are meant to give him all of ourselves, not just a little piece of us. So today as we dive into Scripture, we're going to see just that. That God is saying, hey, I want all of you to be involved in your worship, not just a part of you. Even those moments we'd rather hide, even those moments we'd rather God or anyone around us not know about, he says, give that to me as an act of worship. But as we turn to the scriptures, let's pray before we dive in. So bow your heads with me. Lord God, would you minister to our hearts today? Would your word come to rest on our souls, and would you convict us through your spirit of what we might hold back from you? Lord, we ask you to just renew our minds today as we open up your word, and we ask that your word would speak in power over our lives, that we would respond in worship. In your name we pray, amen. So if you would open your Bibles up, with me. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. It's also going to be on the screen. And in this passage, Jesus is speaking to a, uh, sorry, not a Pharisee, to a lawyer. And this lawyer is trying to catch Jesus. And he asks him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is brilliant. Right? And I, I want you to pay attention because what Jesus' answer demonstrates is two things. First, it's that Jesus is incredibly familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, that he knows them inside and out, but also he denotes that, hey, this is what it looks like to have a relationship with God. He doesn't just say, hey, I know it, I can get through your answer. He's saying, hey, I want you to have a real relationship with the Lord our God. And as he quotes the Old Testament Shema, which is the central prayer of Judaism, he makes this incredibly clear. So let's read in verse 27. It says, He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And as Jesus proclaims this, he's declaring to the people that God wants all of who they are, right? Not just a piece. And while these four areas of a person's life is not meant to be a complete, specific list of who a person is, it's supposed to cover the bases. It's supposed to say, hey, this is the general total of what makes you, you. This is your spiritual life, your soul. This is your physical life life in your, your body, or your strength. This is your mind, your intellectual side, but this is also your heart, your emotional side. And as we look at the different aspects of the person that God calls us to respond and worship with, we see in Jesus' response that he's saying, hey, God wants it all. How we work, how we play, 
how we love our families, how we serve our community, how we spend our money, how we read scripture, and how we pray. Just to name a few. But the list goes on and on and on because there's no part of our daily lives that we cannot give to God as an act of worship. And he wants it all. There's no part of our lives that God doesn't want, even those areas we'd rather not let him into. Even those areas that we've kept him out of to this point, that we've tried to hide, that we've tried to pretend don't exist. He says, give me those two. Those sin areas where we struggle, he says, let me take those from you. Let me bear that burden so you don't have to anymore so that that's no longer part of who you are. The places where we hurt, he says, let me heal those wounds. Every part of who we are, he wants us. He wants it. And as we give it over to him, we give it to him as an act of worship. But in our world, we've, I think we've become conditioned to give the bare minimum. What's the minimum we can get away with giving and still get out of it what we want or what we need? How can we scrape by? How can we just make what's due? The very least of it. And still get out of it what we want. But here's the thing. Our relationship with God isn't like that. First of all, it's not a tit-for-tat sort of thing. It's not something where it's like, hey, well, we can meet this requirement, God, if you give me that thing. God's already given you everything. He's met every need. He said, hey, I've laid it all out there that you may have life and have it to the full. And when you realize the depths of God's love for you, the extent to which he went to have a relationship with you, I think you can't help but respond in worship. You can't help but say, God, have everything as you fall down on your knees in worship. Because that's the only response. Because our God is that good, and our God is that worthy. I like to keep things simple. And when I was growing up, I tried to oversimplify Christianity, right? I was young. And I created Christianity in my mind to be a list of requirements or like a list of if I can, you know, achieve this, I'll be a good Christian. And in the process, I set the bar really low. (laughs) Really, really low. If I was going to church on Sunday, if I was keeping the Ten Commandments, if I was, you know, being nice to people and a good person and uh, knowing stuff about Jesus, that was fine. Low bar. And with this bar I said, I was like, sweet, I could knock that out easy, almost like it was a chore. And I had nowhere on my radar the reality that this wasn't about things I did, but this was about a relationship I had. And that my life was meant to be an outpouring of an act of worship. And then I graduated high school and... um, I signed up to work at a Christian camp. 
stepping over that bar a little bit. And I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I was like, this will be fun, this will be awesome, I'll have a great summer, yada, yada, yada. And then three months before the camp started, they sent me a devotional. And they said, hey, we care more that you prepare spiritually for this summer camp than physically, which was saying a lot because this was a camp with a lot of swimming and moving, having stuff, and, you know, a lot of physical labor. And I remember in my mind, I go, you want me to spend time with God every day? Remember that low bar. Okay. Because this is something I didn't, even consider doing. This wasn't something that I thought was important. I had restricted God to a portion of my life. And I said, everything else is mine to do with as I please. And God started to very gently say, no, I, I want all of you, not just part of you. And so I, I started spending time with God, and I did the devotional because they asked me to, and I started to come face to face with this God. And I started to get to know him. And a little bit more scary is he's got to know me as I let him in to each part. And I, I started to meet other people who were doing this too and having conversations. And I was shocked because they knew this was a thing and I didn't. But that's a completely different thing. And as I began to let God into every moment, to let him into each thing that I was participating in, how I behaved on the soccer field, how I engaged with my coworkers, how I on and on and on. He took a hold of my heart. He changed the way I approached life. He met me. You see, as our next passage is going to tell us, God is supposed to affect everything we do. In word and deed, there is nothing that he does not affect when we live our lives as an act of worship. So if you turn with me to Colossians 3.17, it says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? Whatever you do, that's all-encompassing. Whether in word or deed, consider the words of your mouth, not just the actions of your hands. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So anything you say, anything you do, should be done as if you were doing it or saying it to the Lord. And if there's something that you wouldn't want God to hear you say, if there was something that you wouldn't want God to hear or see you do, it's a pretty easy barometer for whether or not you should be doing it in the first place. And as we do that, we begin to have to let go of things. We begin to face the reality that the way we always have done things may not be the way that we should do things moving forward. And we start to sacrifice things at the altar saying, God, this doesn't need to be part of my life anymore, maybe. 
God, maybe I need to be spending my time in a different way. Maybe, maybe I should be choosing my words differently. Maybe these people I've been surrounding myself with, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe. Which brings us to Romans 12.1, which says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, right? So in view of the fact that he loved you enough to look over the ways that you had rebelled against him and sent his son to save you. In full view of that, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Right? And I just want to focus on that word sacrifice for a moment because that's a hard word. I think we tend to like to look at the word sacrifice and think of it in the Old Testament terms of bringing a, a lamb to the altar and being like, here, God, have this. And it's something you kill and leave there and you're done and you're good and you go on your way. But Christ died for us. We no longer slaughter lambs on the altar. Instead, now what we have to offer God is ourselves. And the reality is, is that through Christ's death, we were made alive. We were given the opportunity to have eternal life, to live freely. Thus, we become a living sacrifice. And what a sacrifice is, is surrendering something to another. Think about that for a moment. We are giving something to someone else. Whether or not it is crucial for us to have. Consider when you take someone to lunch and you pay for their meal, you are sacrificing that money in order to serve or love that person in that way. When you spend your time speaking with someone, uh, conversing with them, instead of doing maybe what you wanted to do or what things that you think you need to get done, you are sacrificing your time and your energy for the sake of another person, right? The idea of sacrifice is giving of yourself, giving of your things, of your time, of your money for another. And God says here, present your bodies, present your lives as a living sacrifice. Sacrificing all of our time, our energy, our money to him. And saying, Lord, every aspect of how I live, the way I present myself, how I engage with others is meant to be a living sacrifice for you, an act of worship. Because when God made us alive in Christ, he set us free. Not so we can live for ourselves, but so that we can live our lives for him. With every intent, with every action, with every choice, with every word and deed would be done as if for the Lord. And if we refuse to let God into every part of who we are, 
we start to treat him like a garnish. Like something we just sprinkle over the top and say, God, you just make my life that much better. It's like treating him like icing on a cake. Rather than what our life is all about, it's an add-on. Christ didn't die for God to be an add-on to your life. Christ died for you so that, he, so that God would become the focus of your life. I think it's wild that we as people will want God to save us from our sin, which we are completely helpless against. And when he does so, we turn around and then try to tell him that he isn't important enough to cons- be considered in how we live, the choices we make. He just promised to give us a home for eternity. A home in which there will be no pain, no suffering. A home where every need will be fulfilled. And we have the audacity to tell him, I can't give you the next several years, the next however many years, to live as an act of worship for you. But the truth is that this life is not about our glory. It's not about us getting everything that we want. It's about God. It's about surrendering to him. Which brings us to our last passage of the day, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 25. And it says, And then God said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's not about you. You are not the main character of the story. God is. And the call to take up your cross, to deny yourself, means surrendering ourselves to God, to his will, to his way, to his plan. This summer, my dad's side of the family had a, uh, a pool party barbecue. And I was talking to my cousin's husband, and we were talking about raising kids and stuff. He's got a seven-year-old, and obviously my son James is a lot younger than that. And I was just, you know, talking about, all right, you know, what are you doing to have faith conversations with your son? How are you engaging with him, talking with him, and he goes, and he's talking about these different things that, that they do, and one of the things they do is they read tales of missionaries. In particular, not in particular, but they don't even shy away from the hard ones, like the stories of, of Jim Elliott, Corey Ten Boom, John Wesley. And, and last year, my cousin and his son were headed back from a father-son retreat, and they were talking about faith and what it meant to follow God. And, and, and my cousin asked his son, he goes, what's holding you back? Right? His son's seven. Because every other indicator, his son's on board, his son's all in, but he's just not made that decision. He goes, what's holding you back? And at seven, this... This kid goes, Dad, I'm afraid God might call me somewhere to die. At seven, he had done the math. 
He was counting the cost, and he was aware that following God meant everything, holding nothing back. I'm happy to say that ultimately he chose to follow God later. But how many of us don't count that cost? Don't realize that this relationship God wants to have with us is everything. How many of us would rather treat him like that garnish? That little additive at the end so that we can have our life over here where it looks pretty and nice and everything we want it to and then we just add in a little bit of God and so that's good enough. As we bring our time to a close today, I want you to consider that God is calling you to something deeper. That God is calling you to something more, to a real relationship. One where you are fully known. One where you hide nothing from him. And that he embraces you as a loving father. One who doesn't shame, who doesn't guilt, but one who wraps his arms around you and says, I love you. And that in that moment, as we choose to live for him, we find ourselves most fully satisfied in life when we are most fully satisfied in our relationship with God. Amen.